Today on Broadway for Tuesday, June 30th, 2020. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, it is almost July. Tomorrow is July. When we first originally, you know, got into this whole pandemic closing thing, everybody thought that initially, well, we'd be open by now. And I was the pessimist thinking, you know, let's let's hold our horses. We'll we'll probably open by Labor Day. Wow. Hmm. We had about or not about halfway to that. And that obviously is no longer the case. So the one thing I will say, I, I don't know about anybody else, but like time hasn't drug for me, maybe because I'm still working more or less like normal. But it seems like the last three and a half months have gone by like three and a half months should not fast, but not slower than normal. Yeah, I think that everybody else's uh, experience uh, varies. Um, I have friends who have not worked since March and and they are just I I just don't know what to say to them. And I feel so bad for them. And then there's others who um, who this has been a a crazy time for them. You know, friends of mine who are nurses and first responders and other uh, other folks like that that are like just exhausted and overwhelmed and wish the uh, wish we'd stop. But. All we can do is uh, look to tomorrow. It's uh, the sun will come out tomorrow. I, I'm glad you went with that one uh, instead of "Tomorrow belongs to me" because that would have been yeah, that's dark. Really, that's a that's a really that's inappropriate a, show tune a, with the word "tomorrow." Yeah, that's a that's a twist of darkness. <laughs> Although we did we on this I, week on on this week on Broadway on Sunday we did compare uh, Freddie Onsford Hill to uh, a character in Assassins, so. Well, I haven't listened yet. On yesterday's show, I mentioned the fact that we needed to have or you needed to have Unworthy of Your Love in the in the Most Beautiful Ballads conversation. Was it a part uh, of the discussion? No, it wasn't. We had a different uh, song from Assassins, but I can't remember what it was. But it wasn't Unworthy of Your Love, was it? I don't think it was. That's the only real ballad I could think of in there. So I have to go back and uh, and re-listen to it, but uh, but you don't listen to Peter and Michael just like you don't listen to me, so it's fine. Who is this again? <laughs> <laughs> I Why, only listen. I only listen to Ashley. That's true. That's probably that's smart too. So, <laughs> all right. So first up in the news, uh, as we alluded to, Broadway to remain closed into 2021. James, correct me if I'm wrong, but were you on with me the day that they announced it would be closed through Labor Day as well? Mm, I really can't remember because okay, I don't listen so. to you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> if so, we need to make sure that you're not allowed back okay. <laughs> uh, ever again. <laughs> well, uh, Ashley's finished moving. This is it. She's all yeah, done. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, but anyway, uh, as you mentioned, what we discussed last week was made official yesterday as the Broadway League announced that all Broadway performances have been canceled through at least January 3rd of 2021. In their press release, they said, quote, the Broadway League continues to work with city and state officials, as well as leaders in science, technology and medicine to formulate the best plan to restart the industry. Some of the logistics being currently reviewed for audience members and employees include screening and testing, cleaning and sanitizing, wayfinding inside theaters, which is like, I didn't know what that was, like the signs that say, go down this aisle, don't go down this aisle, backstage protocols and much more. 
The league also went on to say that returning productions are currently expected to resume performances in a series of rolling dates in early 2021 and that tickets for performances for next winter and spring, like January, February into March and April, are expected to go on sale in the coming weeks. Now, James, that part surprised me. The delay through January 3rd, not surprising. But the fact that they were going to put tickets on sale for next winter, yeah. that surprised me because it makes it sound like they are at least semi-confident in Broadway's ability to return in January or February or I guess even March is still technically uh, winter. But, I, th- you know, everybody else is thinking March or April, but they're sure are making it sound like they are anticipating the ability to open earlier than at least I'm thinking. Yeah, uh, I, I think that they. I think that's a smart move. They have to plan, uh, you know, uh, plan for the worst, hope for the best. What, what's the Shakespeare reference that they make there? Is uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you, but that just still seems ooh, weird. Yeah, uh, I know, but you know, and, and I've been especially critical of the league not uh, being out there, and so I'm glad that they've. They've made this announcement. The last time uh, the league uh, did the Labor Day thing on May 12th, and I was on Today on Broadway on May 12th with you talking about it. So, yeah. Well, following that announcement, Actors Equity renewed its call for a nationwide economic relief package for the arts. Obviously, there are so many people, James, like you mentioned, that – are hurting and haven't been able to work at all for the past three and a half months. And that's not just people on stage or backstage, but also people, ushers, concessions, merch, and then people in ancillary businesses around the theater community. But James, as much as I want this to happen, as much as we are, we've talked about this happening in other countries, the only way that I can see this happening is if Trump and the Republicans look at the polls and they are so worried about their reelection chances that they basically cave and give the Democrats everything they want in a wide ranging stimulus relief bill just so that they can claim some sort of responsibility for putting extra money in people's pockets. Because I, I otherwise I can't imagine this getting through the Senate of their own volition. Well, you have the uh, the unemployment benefits that are going to expire uh, pretty soon. I guess yeah. in the next thirty da- next thirty yeah. days or so. Uh, even if it's uh, uh, the, I, I believe that the least that they can do is extend those unemployment benefits through December thirty first, uh, and that's what I'm hoping absolutely ho- hoping for. So that way. Somebody could do something and then, you know, do a little piece here and then maybe the housing courts and the the states and something else will work something out with the landlords so that people aren't, you know, I, I, I read I, I, this is unbelievable. I read. Do you, do you read Cranes? Cranes, a business publication in New York. I- I don't, but you often have sent me things over the years to include in the show from there. So Cranes is talking about how uh, landlords are getting killed by this uh, pandemic right now, and a, a one-bedroom apartment in New York is down to $4,500 a month. I, how could they barely live $4,500 a month? I mean, my for someone who is For someone who has priced apartments uh, in New York uh, for potential post-pandemic moves, like, that's absurd. But that actually brings up a really interesting question, James. I would imagine that most of, like, the Schuberts and Ju Jameson and Niederlander's um, theaters they're all paid for. They don't have mortgages on those. I could be wrong, but I'm just assuming. But what about things like 
the Helen Hayes with Second Stage, yeah. which I'm assuming mm-hmm. we still do. I don't know about, you know, some of the theaters that Roundabout has bought in the past couple decades. I mean, maybe the Freedmen with MTC, but I, I have a feeling they're fine. But like Second Stage, like that worries me. They spent a crap ton of money to open that. And then they haven't really been able to do anything for you know what is going to now be three of the or nine months which is you know two of the biggest seasons to make money so that that stuff worries me for them that's why i think we need something beyond just unemployment benefits or an extra thousand you know twelve hundred bucks in people's pockets we need to make sure that we're doing something to support the organizations so that there are jobs for people to return to when this does eventually end if you want to get mba finance nerdy a little bit the, uh, I don't have an MBA. You have the MBA, so I will let you get MBA finance nerdy. So the cost of money, meaning that you know what it costs you to borrow money, uh, was remarkably low in the last couple of years. So it would be very surprising to me if the three major theater owners were sitting on equity, i.e. paid off theaters, and didn't borrow against those theaters to have cash to invest in other things. So... I I don't know if they necessarily were those theaters were free and clear because yeah. I, it would be smart it would be financially smart to have to leverage, uh, to leverage it exactly yeah so that's interesting I hadn't thought about that yeah so I think that, and uh, second stage talked right away in April or so about the cost of the Helen Hayes and that they've got notes on it. And there was a fundraiser. I think, uh, I think Jason did a fundraiser or something for second stage. I think it was Jason or somebody else, but, um, let's, uh, go forward into the amazing financial disaster that's unfolding in front of us underwater and in the, in the sky. Well, there's a couple of things in this I want to mention here real quick. Uh, The Actors Fund yesterday announced their Every Artist Insured campaign Mm -hmm. to enhance their free and confidential health insurance counseling and and, and enrollment support services. A lead gift of $1 million in support of this from Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS is launching the fund. And if you would like to contribute, we have a link in the show notes. And finally, just something tangentially related to this, James. Um, on Monday, Cirque du Soleil filed for bankruptcy protection after having to close all 44 of its productions. Obviously, they've only had one Broadway show and a second one that closed before it got here. But this is obviously a, a sister industry to theater. Um, so uh, it, that's interesting to keep an eye on. Uh, and then finally, CBS Sunday Morning spoke with Julianne Boyd, the artistic director of Barrington Stage Company, and Maria Manuela Goyane, mm-hmm. the AD from Wooly Mammoth in Washington, D.C., about reopening and theater in the time of corona as well. Uh, anything from CBS Sunday Morning is worth watching, so we'll have a link for that in the show notes. Uh, you didn't talk uh, – you know, we, we, we don't want to get deep into Cirque du Soleil, but we're talking about 3,500 jobs and – billions yeah. and billions of dollars in losses. Yeah, I mean, uh, I live I live 5 miles from a uh from a Cirque du Soleil theater and it's uh that's a big deal. Yeah. All right. So, uh next up, uh, we have Broadway League plans to inve- investigate diversity within the industry. That's a short investigation, isn't there? God, I 
I just can't, James. I really can't. So in a New York Times article on Sunday, the Broadway League confirmed that they have committed to auditing diversity within the industry as a response to recent calls for action. The league will do that by hiring an outside company to investigate diversity both on stage and behind the scenes. League President Charlotte St. Martin said in the Times, quote, I think we have done a good job on stage and we've done a good job with the Tony Awards, but in a lot of our backstage, just, yeah, just, mm. but, but in a a lot of I'm glad you laughed because, uh, because I want, did she miss the Tony so white hashtag for the last couple of years? I just, you know. I, yeah, look, OK, OK. But in Go. a lot of our backstage areas, we haven't done as good a job. And if people are frustrated, they have the right to be. We have to change and we will. Now, James, uh, this if she feels that they have done a good job on stage and with the Tonys, then her bar for success in terms of diversity in the theater is set so ridiculously low that the league needs to immediately remove her and get someone who actually understands and appreciates the problem at hand because this statement right here is is one of the most offensive things to me that the league has done in a long time and i've made my issues with the league very public uh and with charlotte st martin very public uh and this to me is outrageous let them eat cake she's so out of touch I just I can't imagine. And there are plenty of people on social media on um, on Monday went through the stats about how not a good job Broadway has done in terms of things on stage and in terms of the Tony Awards that it's it's offensive to me uh, that she would even say that. And I'm sure even more offensive uh, to to minority theater artists uh, around the world and around the country. It's just uh, it's ludicrous to me that she would say that. But I mean, if you, uh, you <laughs> she's taking credit for Lin Manuel Miranda's success, right? It's like you know, it, if you remove Hamilton from the equation, there, how would Broadway Lion have King. and Lion King? Well, yeah. uh, you know, how would Broadway have been doing? And and what did the league do to keep Hamilton yeah. and the Lion King? You know, I, you know, on one hand, I think to myself. I, you know, I don't know what the league per se can do as much as um, the members of the league, the members it, of the league. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's it's unbelievable. And, you know, one of the things that I saw a lot of people upset last week as some of these shows that had been announced for the spring of 2020 talking about when they were coming back, things like the music man, but then also things like um, uh, flying over sunset mm -hmm. and the minutes and people were upset. Oh, why are these shows being announced? You know, these are mainly white, if not all white shows. And I'm not as worried about those because those are money that, or those are shows that already had money sunk into them. So those investors aren't going to just like, you know, cut bait and run. They want to make sure that they have an opportunity to make money on their investments. What I'm more interested in is what happens next. What are the shows that are going to fill the houses that inevitably close? What are the producers going to bring in? I applaud Roundabout for um, for bringing Trouble in Mind uh, to their season and announcing that ahead of time. We have talked about the fact that Roundabout does not have a great history, soldiers play aside, in terms of promoting diversity on their stage and in terms of their directors and writers. But I applaud them for doing that. The What happens next, though, from the members of the Broadway League, who you know are producers and theater owners, what they do next, that is going to be what really you know tells the tale. And I got to be honest with you, I don't have super high expectations from them. All right. Are we ready to move into show and casting news? 
Just uh, other words, I just want to say that IATSE, the International Alliance for Theatrical Stage Employees, they called for a conversation on systemic racism and said that they are in support of everybody who is asking for change. So, uh, you know, I guess I'm more in line with what IATSE is doing than what the Broadway League wants to do. A little bit easier for IATSE to uh, to bring members in and fill positions as they come about. Uh, but it's still going to need some strong leadership in IATSE and, you know, AFM and all the other uh, all the other organizations that make up the Broadway community as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now so, we can go into show and casting news. Okay, so what do we have in show and casting news? I didn't really understand this one at first, James, but it appears that Six is going to become the first West End show to return to performances, but not either in the West End or in a manner in which we are used to it. Instead, Six will play eight show weeks at 12 different open air venues in a drive in setup, I guess like a tour hmm. uh, going to these 12 places. It, um, all this setup will be designed to comply with all official guidelines and performances will feature the actors live on stage in front of everybody, complete with HD LED screens, full concert audio and lighting and more. Audience members will arrive by car, but they'll be able to step outside and set up a picnic and a party um, as they watch a kind of like festival style live stage show in their own little dedicated area around their vehicle. Um, you know, I've given six and the producers of the show specifically a ton of crap about decisions they've made along the way, including like setting up 107 different productions before it came to Broadway. But, you know, I love this idea. I've got to give them credit. And I hope that at some point before Broadway and the U.S. regional theaters return that producers figure out creative ways, whether it's replicating this or something else entirely, you know, to keep theater alive, because um a year without theater is a long time and we have to do something not only from the financial standpoint to keep these theaters and these artists going, but for those of us that, you know, I've often talked about the fact that I consider theater, my church, like we need that in some form or another. So I applaud them for this. I really think it's a great idea too. And I'm trying to think, uh, you know, God help the folks in Manhattan who are going to have to cross over to Jersey to go see a show. But I think <laughs> you would have to go to Jersey to yeah. find the space to do it. And I think it's a wonderful idea. And I, I again, uh, back you up and applaud the producers of Six for thinking outside the box. Everything's legal in Jersey. Um, in other UK tour-ish news, it was announced last week that a UK tour of the world premiere stage adaptation of Dan Brown's book, The Da Vinci Code, oh. will launch on April 3rd in 2021. James, did you read that book? I did. And then I watched the movie and I was like, what in the world? Those two things don't match at all. So. No, I, I read The Da Vinci Code in like two days, like 15 years ago. Uh, it's a great book. And then I've read some of his other books afterwards. Yeah. And it's basically they're all the exact, exact same, same book. Yeah. It's the exact same book. Um <laughs> But anyway, well, I, I'd be interested to see how they do this on stage. But uh, and then finally, this is only semi related to theater, only because theater people were in the original movie and they're making a musical out of it. But starting on Monday, yesterday, June 29th, Quibi, which is this new streaming mm, service yeah. that does everything 10 minutes or less, they have started releasing chapters in a celebrity fan film version of The Princess Bride. How they are doing it is basically a bunch of stars are filming little segments of The Princess Bride with their families and with their significant others um, and they are putting them all together they're being shot on on cell phones it actually does start 
with um, original star Fred Savage in bed like the original movie does. But other people who are in it uh, include Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner, Common and Tiffany Haddish, Neil Patrick Harris and David Burka, um, Chris Pine and Annabelle Wallace, Hugh Jackman, Jennifer Garner, Elijah Wood, John Hamm, Beanie Feldstein, Lucas Hedges, Jenna Ortega, Jack Black, Jack Black, David Oyelowo, Keegan-Michael Key, uh, Patton Oswalt, Josh Gad, uh, Taika Waititi, and more. Um, I watched a little bit of the first one while we were getting ready, James, and it was cute. I don't know how it'll track for the, the whole thing, but it was cute. How do they fit all those people into 10 minutes? It, they're like like <laughs> 15, 20-ish seconds. Yeah, they're doing a chapter. I'm sorry, I should have said that. Yeah. They're doing a chapter a day for two weeks. Um, uh, so they're 10-minute chapters for, for two weeks. But the, the it's not like one person plays the part throughout. It'll rotate as to like who's playing Buttercup and who's playing Wesley and who's playing the Fred Savage character, even though he started. So it it was cute, though. So I've been a Quibi member for a while. I was a, an early beta tester of Quibi, and uh, I think it's interesting what they're doing, uh, but it their market is, uh, they're really focusing on teens and 20s, and I can't find any teens or 20s that are watching it, so, and I'm not I can't sure. can't find anybody who's watching it. Yeah, and I can't, I, uh, I'm also very interested to see uh, what the reasoning behind the Princess Bride? Because I don't think that that is exciting to that market. Although I'm excited and I'm going to watch it, but see, see, I didn't think that that was their market. I thought it was going. I thought their market initially, at least, was people who were commuting. They were wanted to, people who were you know commuting and had ten minutes to sit there and watch something. That was going to be their audience. Then when the world collapsed and no one was commuting, maybe they pivoted. Yeah. But this seemed because the the reason that I signed up for it and I got a membership early on, even though it, it was free until like July, is because there was an Anna Kendrick series on that. And everyone knows my love for Anna Kendrick, except yeah. for that series. She talks to a sex doll that's come to life. I watched the first episode and said, man, this is terrible. I'm not watching anymore. But like, so that's not exactly a teen. Maybe it's an early 20s kind of thing, but it was not very good. Um but anyway, I don't think anyone's watching Quibi, so I applaud them for trying to do something, and this is cute. Well, we'll have to watch it, and uh, if it's any good, it'll make our recommendation sections, but it's not in today's recommendation section. What is? No. Okay, real quick, I'm going to run through these because we went long. There's a great article by uh, my friend Ashley Lee from the Los Angeles Times oh, yeah. in which she talked with Leslie Odom Jr. about the money side of theater and Hamilton and some of the fights that he led, which we've talked about before um, and making sure that especially with this film that is coming out on Friday, that the cast was equitably uh, compensated. So that's a phenomenal article. And I haven't really seen a ton of interviews from Leslie Odom Jr. where he goes in depth about stuff beyond his projects. Uh, this was really impressive to hear him kind of talk about these things. So um, I'm excited to see what are the kind of changes that he can push for uh, as obviously one of the growing leaders in our industry. Uh, today, June 30th at 4.30 p.m. will be TEDx Broadway. It's a the live streaming version. Um, I believe you can still sign up. I am registered. A couple of Broadway radio friends are going to be uh, amongst the four people that are involved. Um, recent uh, guest with Ashley uh, Casey Mank from Backstage is going to host. Um, your regular interviewee, Sammy Canold, will be part of, of the panel as well. Um, you can check out that um, for the kind of the first one there. 
uh, later today, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Sticking with Hamilton, they released a clip of Satisfied on Monday night, so I'll have a uh, clip so you can watch Renee Elise Goldsberry singing that in the show notes. And then finally, I just want to say this real quickly um, because it's over, but on Friday, I watched um, a live stream, not live stream because it was actually filmed, um, but a streaming version of the last five years from the other palace. That, and I think that's Andrew Lloyd Webber owns that, but it was their theater um, over in the UK. They did the last five years, which is obviously a perfect show to do, um, you know, in this setting, but it was filmed. The two actors were separate. Um, it, all the different scenes were filmed and things that kind of resembled the settings that they were supposed to be in, but it was incredibly well done. Um, I think the other palace is going to be doing other, they're calling it uh, a lockdown performances. Um, this one starred Lauren Samuels and Danny Becker, and it was very, very good. It only ran for three days. Um, but I was very, very glad I got the chance to watch it because it was uh, it was quite good and fairly cheap. So would uh, would highly recommend the other palaces lockdown performances if uh, they come up with anything else that interests you. Uh, do you know who directed that? Um, I do. I have the thing up here. Let me see. Um, I don't see where it says um, who directed it. I do not. Huh. Because uh, Jason went to oh, London. No, wait, hold on. Um, uh, Lauren Samuels, who actually played Kathy, will also uh, made her directorial debut with the show. Okay. So she directed it as well. Jason, I think, did the one with um, uh, Samantha Barks. And, yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah. And the guy who was in Once and was also on DC's Legends of Tomorrow, mm-hmm. who I can't think of his name. But I think that's who the one he did. All right. So why don't you get us out of here? I, gladly. This was a jam-packed episode. But thank you for your listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMatt. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday with us. And uh, Ashley returns tomorrow, and Matt will be here, too. We'll see you then. <laughs> 